Hello and welcome once again to episode 96 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So depending on the team you join, your responsibilities can differ wildly. So we figured we could take a tour of different team sizes and experience levels uh, to give you an idea of what to expect. Yeah, um, it was kind of an interesting, I guess, conversation that occurred in two separate places, kind of, um, you know, completely independent of each other this week about kind of this kind of thing. Um, there was a a Slack message brought up in our, in our Slack group that was talking about, you know, uh, something about like being in charge of a single button on Gmail and changing the color or something like that. And I, you know, a similar conversation happened at work uh, when I went up to the office uh, this week. So it, it kind of got us thinking like, you know, how, you know, you as a developer kind of have your job, I guess, uh, in writing, you know what I mean? Like kind of in theory, your job is to write code and stuff, but then there's a lot of other things that happen uh, depending on what kind of place you work at or, you know, are you an indie dev? Are you working at Facebook? Right. That kind of thing will uh, differ a lot. So I guess we'll probably just start off, I think, with the smallest kind of thing, like just being an indie dev and then work our way to the larger things. So I'd say, of course, the first thing is you would be responsible for everything. And that's not to say like just all of the code, but all of everything oh, right I mean, all of everything right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing is you're not just like okay i'm gonna work on this app and you know make it the best that i can make it but also uh, you're in charge of marketing the app you're in charge of uh the finances for the app if you're making money off of it which um you know not something i would want to do but that's something that if you're interested in like yes i want to make um i guess a business around my app you're dealing with finances, taxes, uh, insurance, all of that kind of stuff that uh, goes along with being a kind of your own, uh, like a uh, small business owner, basically, uh, which one man army, for, right? Yeah, exactly. Personally, not something that I would prefer to do. Like, I have no business sense. I barely have enough financial sense to like be an adult. So <laughs> uh, running a business and, and all that isn't appealing to me, but I know that's appealing to a lot of people. And, you know, just because I don't want to do that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. So there's, you know, it, I guess there's a, a place for everyone. And I think indie dev is probably one of the hardest in a way because you have to manage all of this stuff where um, if you're just like, I want to get into the code, maybe you don't have as much time to get into the code because you have to manage all of this stuff that goes around, uh, not just writing an app, but kind of like owning the app, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, like, like you just said, it's something that perhaps we as developers underestimate the, the burden of, uh, because yeah. you can't just be an indie dev wanting to make an app. Like that's not enough. Uh, you have to be prepared to build a business around it. And if you don't want to be building a business around it, you can make an you can be an indie dev working on something free, but you're never going to make like that into a career. And do you really count as an indie dev in that uh, situation uh, yeah. if you're only doing it as a hobby and not as as 
like something that's supporting you financially. So uh, that is probably the hardest part. And you're either lucky. Um, and that's like, I would say 50% of indie devs are just lucky that mm-hmm. they are in the position they are in. Uh, or you have to put all the hard work in to make it successful. And that's where the rest of them are at. Um, so uh, if you see any any indie dev that's still around, it's because they've been putting that hard work into it. Um, and they might not be the only person. Like they might have roped in their uh, husbands or wives to to be the their uh, their uh, partner on like making sure that the business as a whole does not deflate <laughs> after yeah. a new OS version or Apple stops like featuring you or whatnot. Um, but it is hard work, and it's not necessarily work that you as an individual might enjoy, right? Um, and that, I think that's the hardest like thing to swallow for anyone that's like trying to be indie but then uh doesn't necessarily succeed with their first like app that they put out and it's like well and like i put all this hard work into it why why is it not worth anything uh like financially in terms of what apple is giving me back uh for having it be sold uh and that's because you just need to continuously uh, like work at the other parts of it right you need to you need to develop the marketing. You need to develop uh, the ability for you to make money. Um, and sometimes that comes off as like sleazy, different sleazy ways of making money, right? Um, and that's that's why those uh, those uh, kind of tactics exist is because they work, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, and it might not be ideal and no one wants to necessarily say, oh, if you want to succeed, you need to do these different kinds of things. But that is the reality of things. Uh, until there are like different forces to push for change, right? Yeah, for sure. So I guess stepping out of that is you could enter some sort of partnership where uh, maybe you are like the only developer, but you have someone, um, you know, uh, of course, taking a share of of the revenue, but they are managing the marketing and the business or whatever. Um, it, it could still be like a small team of you know just you and one other person or you and a couple other people whatever um but that way you could kind of focus on the development leave the business side or the financials or or whatever it is that you don't personally want to deal with find someone that that's what they do want to deal with and then it ends up being this like very mutually beneficial relationship where um you're both doing work that you like it's not like soul sucking like i for me again managing a business sounds soul sucking i would never do it but people thrive off of that stuff just like we thrive off of uh writing code so and they would it would be soul sucking for them to write code so make it mutually beneficial and it becomes this i think perhaps much easier thing to maintain in the long run potentially but you can actually make a business out of it because if you're the developer, you don't have to worry about that stuff if you don't want to. Yeah, and I, I say this is probably the tactic that most indie developers survive off of. And uh, it oftentimes comes in the shape of getting client work, right? Uh, mm. That's essentially where this this separation of concerns comes from, uh, is you have someone that's willing to manage the business side of it. They just need an app. Um, and... Uh, just needing an app can still be a lot of work, right? I, I do want to underscore that it's not only the development that needs to happen, it's probably the product development that needs to happen, which means 
designs, figuring out the architecture, uh, coordinating uh, any APIs that might need to exist, potentially writing those APIs. So uh, that is where a lot of responsibility still falls on your shoulders. And as someone's just starting out, it might be very overwhelming. But mm-hmm. as someone with a lot of experience, you might be able to navigate that very easily um, and therefore not necessarily need to uh, survive off the typical nine to five job, right? You can go ahead and get contract work. And if you get enough contract work, then you can be more free with the time available and in, in, in your year to go ahead and do different things, maybe not work like full time throughout the week, maybe just work two days a week. Um, as long as you're delivering to the client on the schedule that they expect, then you're fulfilling your end of the bargain, right? Yeah, for sure. I know I've never done it before where I've, you know, not had a normal or, you know, nine to five job um, and done that. But I do know quite a few people um, from just my time, like teaching. And and one of the guys actually taught me um, who have just survived off client work for years and years. And I think they may have got bored and, and gone back to normal stuff. But, you know, people totally make a living off of that. So it's most definitely a um, a feasible sort of avenue. And, you know, one thing with that could be that you're potentially working on something new a lot. So that could, one, be hard for you, but also, two, be uh, kind of refreshing and you don't get bored of what you're doing because it's, you know, always something new with a new client. However long you stick with them and you move on, get something new, that could be... Uh, nice. I know for me personally, I enjoy, uh, well, I'll get into it, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there <laughs> for now. And, and also it's, it's a great way to double dip, uh, if so to say, so mm-hmm. if, uh, you aren't feeling satisfied by your, your typical nine to five job, or, uh, it's just not enough for what you want to accomplish in, in your life, then you can go ahead and also like set up a, uh, a business license and then start doing client work and that is a great way to uh, save up it's a great way to explore different things um, I've pretty much done this my entire career it's a great way to learn things and then bring them to your regular job right yeah uh, take those learnings and share them with your team to be more successful so uh, there's a lot to uh, to benefit from doing this, the only downside, or there are several downsides, but one of the downsides is you are therefore like expected to work more uh, than mm-hmm. typical, um, and that might be draining. And I just saw something like uh, scroll by on my feed this morning uh, that basically said, "Hey." Uh, sleep deprivation is basically a known carcinogen at this point so make sure you still get your sleep (laughs) like that's definitely important um and uh and yeah if you can if you can balance it well uh then it's something uh you can do um and then the second downside is you need to constantly hunt for clients and that's a Mm -hmm. thing that uh when you find a great client it sucks because you you now need to not be able to work with that client anymore because the project's on or whatnot um and you need to find a new one and sometimes that takes time uh or uh you end up with clients every now and then that you don't particularly enjoy um and if this is your only job then you have to work with the clients got um until you find a different one 
uh, at which point you can you can you're you're your own boss at that point. You can you can fire yourself uh, and move <laughs> on. Uh, that's 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 up to you. But uh, yeah, you definitely need to have a network that you can continuously get new clients through, um, and that is momentum that you need to keep building. You cannot like pause on because you will lose that momentum very quickly. Um, that's something that I had. Like that was very healthy early on in my career of being able to just like get a new client. I had two or three at a time. Um, And then once I started working full time, uh, then that kind of slowed down because my time became more limited. Um, And as a result of that, I stopped kind of growing that network uh, and therefore it became harder and harder to get new clients. So you just kind of have to be lucky uh, and have enough experience to convince someone that doesn't even know you. Uh, that you might be the person for the job, um, but you're also competing with tons of other people. So um, that's something to keep in mind. Moving on, you could have um, you could be working for a company where you're like the only iOS developer, or even like maybe the only mobile developer, um, depending on kind of you know what they're using. Um, but we'll say like iOS here. Um, you could be working on some existing product, um, but if you're working on at a company, hopefully, I'd say they probably have uh, like a design team, some API that you're already working with. And so you're just sort of in charge with integrating that. Like, I guess, um, trying to think about like, um, I don't know, a banking app or something where they've had a website for decades now, right? But maybe you come in and they're like, hey, we want a mobile app. Um, they've very likely already got, you know, some sort of API like REST API for uh, accessing all of that information. And so it's your your job to kind of integrate that and stuff. But uh, the scope of, I suppose, what you're doing is going to be a lot more broad because you're the only person. So it could be that you are working from, from scratch or not, but overall, your responsibilities are going to be a lot larger than if you were on a team because you are managing everything as far as the app itself goes so um could be jumping around a lot i mean you'd be in charge of working on features but also fixing bugs at the same time um i don't know depending on the app like we have people that come into support and we have to like you know debug and see what's wrong with their project or whatever so i I suppose just like indie devving and and being uh, in some sort of partnership or or doing client work, you're just in charge of a lot, kind of a, a wide range of things. Yeah, it's it's kind of like having a big a big client, right? Um, sure. They are they are a company that has many many times more employees uh, than than you, the single person. Um, but they don't necessarily want to. Uh, have a full-time like iOS engineer on staff. They basically mm-hmm. want to get the app done, um, or they do want to have a, a full-time iOS app on staff, and you're just going to be working on that app. Basically, they don't really need uh, any more than that. Um, the only things that I would uh, go ahead and flag here is that you should expect to fight for platform considerations at this mm. point. You are you are the subject matter expert, right? Um, so that means that you need to go ahead uh, and be there to say like, hey, uh, it would be great if if like you wanted that hamburger menu, but maybe we consider a tab bar because that's more expected by iOS users. Um, and 
that would lead to a better experience. And then you would be expected to show, like, hey, this is with the hamburger menu. It takes 17 taps to get to this thing. Or here's with the tab bar. These are the five most common things. Everything is kind of organized around that. Um, and that's just, like, one silly example. But you can think of all others of, like, how the UI is, looks. Uh, oh, we want our UI to match our web experience because our users might be confused. It's like no one's going to be confused. Uh, they know how iOS apps look and feel. Um, exactly. And uh, you need to argue that fact, and that is an uphill battle. Uh, so uh, that's just, like, one thing that I think anyone who is in this position just be prepared for like you are the the one-man army once again but just for the ios portion um so they might expect you to follow all sorts of conventions that exist um and their design team might be like hey we uh thought of a really cool mobile design and it looks yeah. nothing like what an ios app should look like um and that's just because they don't have an experience like making iOS apps. So you're going to need to work with them to convince them, uh, maybe introduce them to the HIG, maybe introduce yep. them to other great looking iOS apps and trying to shift the conversation. But it is, it is something that you need to work at um, and does not certainly does not come for free. So uh, that's something that uh, is something that you need to build over time. It's a lot easier if you are trusted. Uh, so mm -hmm. make sure that, when they hire you, they're hiring you from a position of trust in you to do the right job and not just we need someone um, and like anyone will do. Uh, so uh, that's something that makes that job a lot easier. Um, and also, like, as the app becomes more successful, expect to need to grow the team around you um, because that's something that very often happens. Um, is if you do a good job, your app is going to be successful, especially in the presence of entire teams of marketing. And it's like an established product and stuff like that. It's a lot easier to, to succeed than uh, when you're all on your own. Um, and at that point, just be prepared to, to need to expand things further. So uh, this is something that I would say all experience levels can probably like do well in because you will grow into that role quite rapidly as responsibilities are thrust upon you um but uh at the same time like do be prepared to be a little bit overwhelmed uh at times because like all the expectations are going to fall on you because you are uh that subject matter like matter expert as i said yeah that reminds me of a conversation i had um or i just was kind of around uh, at my first job or maybe it was when I was there as a student, um, which was just talking about, you know, if you have a, in, in the hypothetical situation that you have a bunch of job offers from different size companies, you know, where should you go type of thing in general? Um, and there, you know, was conversation about, like you said, uh, since you're responsible for everything and having responsibilities thrust upon you, you'd grow very quickly. Um, and then there was also the idea that um, if you are, you know, you're the only developer. So you're the junior, the mid, the senior, you're doing everything, essentially. Uh, <laughs> uh, then there is no one there to mentor you, um, which would be potentially hard as well. And so I think either way, you'd have growing and learning opportunities. Um, but, you know, just coming from where I am now. Um, being thrust into a code base 
there's no way I could, you know, effectively parse what's going on and figure everything out just at my level um, without having other subject matter experts that are much more uh, senior to me and that know, you know, what's going on. So from my perspective, and this is just me speaking, not, you know, I'm not giving like absolute advice or anything, but I would say that that would be scary for me coming in as like a junior or something. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're brand new to this, you come in and you're like, yeah, I'll take over the entire code base. That seems like a lot. Like I wouldn't want to be in that situation personally. Maybe you do. And that's great. Um, but having someone to be sort of a mentor or at least someone that is more knowledgeable about the code base um, has been great for me because it's someone that I can say, I don't understand what this code is doing or, you know, where do I even look for this thing? This app is so huge. I don't, I don't even know what is what, uh, that for me has been super nice. So, yeah. What you don't know can't hurt you at the same time. Right. Um, so if, if you on your own time can build an app, like not necessarily the market it successfully, I'm not talking about that. Um, but if you, from a technical point of view can go to Xcode, new project, and then from there build a complete app then you're more or less ready for this kind of role. Like, you can go ahead and do it. Uh, you can make tons of mistakes that you'll realize two years down the line, <laughs> mm, that was not a great decision on my past self. Uh, and then you'll need to, like, learn how to navigate that. But sure. as as we said, it's by making those mistakes and learning how to navigate them that you learn, one, how not to make them in the future, but two, how to solve different kinds of problems that... Uh, may come up. For instance, if you join a team and they basically say, we don't have an app yet, we need you to make our app. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, if you join a team and say, and they say, well, uh, the previous guy uh, like died in a bus crash um, and we need uh, Truckkun uh, isekai him, um, then you need to go ahead and like take up this code base and that person may or may not have had the best coding practices in the world. Mm -hmm then you need to take up that mantle. And if you have no experience navigating other people's code, that can be very, very difficult. So yeah. if you are uh, relatively new to app development and you are interviewing for a role like this, definitely ask, like, hey, what's the state of the code base? Is it uh, is the, the previous developer still around to, like, ask questions from? Um, or are, is this particular project starting that you're hiring me for, is it starting from scratch or is there an existing code base? How big is yeah. the existing code base? How many people were working on it? Um, like, do you know what, what is involved? Uh, what kind of architectures were being used? Is it all in Java? Um, like those are things that you need to have answered. Is it okay if we rewrite it in Swift and Swift UI? Because that's the new... Uh, thing that Apple recommends. Um, so all those kinds of things are things that you can ask in the interview process and are important for you to ask. Um, similarly, for like working with a client, you should ask those same questions. Yeah. Um, but a client is less of a rigid interview process and more of a getting to know each other over coffee kind of thing, um, at least from my own past experience. Um, so... Uh, it, it's, it definitely feels very different, but for this kind of role, it's typically a larger company that's hiring you, um, and therefore there are existing practices. They're going to probably try some weird whiteboard question to like try and vet what you may or may not know, um, because like 
they don't know what iOS development is. You're the first one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you're the only one, uh, depending on like what the state of the project is. So uh, it, it definitely is like a mixed bag, kind of like with clients. Uh, you can either get a good one that trusts you a lot and gives you like full reign to do what you need to do to make it successful. Or you can get one that's like, constantly trying to put roadblocks in your way and going to make your life miserable as a result of that. Um, so it's up to you to vet that while you are, while you are interviewing for that role. Now we can dive into like where I'm at now, which is like working on a small mobile team. And I think I'm not sure what you would define as small, but maybe like less than what? Less than 15 developers, I would say is counts as small. Okay. Um, yeah, there are, let's see, six of us, seven. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm definitely in a small mobile team. I didn't really know where it caps out at. Um, but it's been an interesting and very good experience just being on, I've only, you know, been on one team, so I can only speak for where I'm at now, but it's been interesting, um, just the dynamic where, um, We've got a couple like obviously senior level, like my boss is also the co-founder of the company and he's, you know, he's the one that wrote the app originally from scratch and everything. And then we've got Andrew Madsen who's doing, you know, a bunch of like low level audio processing stuff, doing stuff with metal and stuff. And um, I jumped in and I kind of joined the team working on like just getting to know the code base was basically my whole thing where I, nothing I was working on was like hyper important, but it was just like, Hey, uh, work on some Swift conversions because we want to use uh, Swift a lot more. And, you know, in these different parts of the, of the code base, so I could get to know, like, what are the common classes and, and, you know, data types, um, within the app to just get a sense of the architecture of the app. And that lasted, um, I don't know three three or four months maybe um where that was all i was doing and by the end it got pretty boring because i wasn't really doing anything except for looking at objective scene and turning it into swift so i was happy to get out of that but it did definitely do its job of getting me uh sort of used to navigating the code base where things were um so in that sense it was pretty nice um you know i'd say I I don't I don't know we're we're pretty loose with like the titles and everything I don't know if I joined necessarily as a junior but I don't think I was like necessarily like mid level either but I was just kind of working on that kind of stuff where it was like either stuff that was pretty trivial or working on some simple bugs just to get used to the code base and that happened for a good six months or so I'd say just in general where I wasn't working on anything like super crucial to to the functionality of the app. And then I started, you know, uh, as I got used to things, I I broke out into getting into small features like that number keypad and everything. It was like, it's a pretty segmented, sectioned off part of the app where it's really just affecting, uh, you know, it's one small piece of UI, but there was enough to, of, you know, integration and everything that it let me, again, continue to um, learn about how to integrate things into the code base and stuff. And so, I, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like the more and more time went on, the more and more I got acclimated and kind of integrated myself into, 
larger and larger functions of the app. Um, and I guess that's probably the case in most places. I'm not sure. Um, Demetrio obviously can speak to more, uh, more on this. Yeah. I don't know. I'm rambling at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say this is probably the, the type of situation where, uh, you, there's the most freedom, right? Um, mm-hmm. I would definitely say as if you are a junior, this is the best kind of team to join because one, there are plenty of people there that are probably willing to help you. Like working on a small team uh, yeah. is generally uh, the most easygoing kind of team that you can you can get. Um, if it's an established app on the App Store, things are not necessarily being rushed. Uh, things are already kind of at a good pace. So therefore, you are most likely being hired to not necessarily speed up the development of the app, but to help maintain it and help it be healthy over time as developers either come and join the team um, or join and leave the team. Like the goal is not to grow it to 15 million people. It's to Uh keep it at a reasonable size um, and just make forward progress. Um, So uh, as you said, like oftentimes jumping into a code base, you don't know, like you need to start somewhere. Um, whether it's converting a bunch of Objective-C code to Swift, which, like, if you haven't been looking at Objective-C code, it's still really common, um, and you should <laughs> yep. still expect to run into it, uh, whether whether you like it or not. You'll probably not be writing new Objective-C code, but you mm-hmm. should definitely be comfortable reading it and comfortable understanding what it does. So that is one uh, aspect that um, you should expect to like run into. Um, another thing that I've typically like suggested to people is if you don't know where to start and they don't know where to start you either, uh, maybe pick an area of the code and start documenting it. Chances are there's no mm. documentation anywhere. Um, and <laughs> no team would be not happy with the new person adding some documentation in because one, you get to learn about the code base by trial and error, uh, which is basically how we program anyways. So. Uh, it's like poking around the black box, um, and it's like writing about how that black box works. So if there's a thing that you didn't necessarily understand and then you're starting to understand and you add documentation all over the place, that is always welcome. And it lets people correct you when you try to push it in, uh, because someone will say, Hmm, this is not quite how this works. Uh, maybe reword it to this. And then you learned, right. Uh, that is an opportunity to really understand things if you were going to be doing that documentation writing process, that would be a great kind of reason and um, excuse to say, Hey, uh, person who wrote this thing that I'm documenting, can I pick your brain and make sure that things um, are what they are? And I understand this correctly and uh, maybe just form a bit of a um, relationship, friendship with them where, you know, hopefully they are nice <laughs> and they'll let you, you know, pester them for, um, for the sake of making sure that the documentation is, uh, correct and complete. Uh, but just a way to basically get to know your team, I suppose, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and that leads right into the last thing I was going to say is, uh, the last way that you typically will get acclimated is you'll be given the backlog say hey this is not any particular project that we're working on but these are a list of bugs that exist um go ahead and pull from roughly the top of this uh here is someone on the team who knows 
hopefully something about what you'll be working on um, and use them as a rubber ducky to uh, figure it out. Um, so you might not figure that task out all on your own. Like that's totally fine. It's not expected of you to just magically come into a code base and then be successful. Um, but that is an opportunity for you to work with someone and ask them tons of questions to like be able to, uh, succeed. So, um, generally speaking, you'll probably be doing a mix of all three of these things. Um, as, as you join, there's no like very well defined thing. Um, everyone will love you if you write documentation or test for them. So, uh, that's always a, a way into people's hearts, um, because no one wants to write them. Um, yep. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's, that's a great way of, of becoming an established member of a team, right? Uh, and then once you are an established member, uh, your role typically changes. Like you are now co-in charge of, uh, making sure the backlog is well groomed, making sure the tickets are filed, uh, making sure that new projects are suggested, um, and depending on your level of experience, you can work on all sorts of different things at this point. Uh, if you want to learn about uh, hypothetical audio processing, then you can go and poke that person that's always doing that, and if they're friendly enough to to let you take up some of those tickets that are way over your head and have them like help you through them. Uh, then you can go ahead and learn about that process as well if you're interested in it. Um, and it's definitely the, the type of environment that, is, that allows that to happen, right? Um, it's not easy to do that in most other kinds of teams, but for an established app, a small mobile team is probably the best place to learn and grow um, and to stick around, honestly. Like, you might not be paid the most. To Generally, the budgets are a lot smaller because the the stakes are a lot higher there's just one product and if it's sink or swim um and uh at that point everyone's trying their best to kind of keep things going uh but generally uh the people in charge care a lot more about their employees as a result um because they don't necessarily want to put you in a difficult situation because they want you to be happy to continue helping them develop the app so uh that's that's always a consideration yeah i think what's been the best about kind of the team I work on is it's small enough that um, I know everyone and I have like a good working relationship with everyone. And I also more or less know, uh, you know, if I have a question for something who to ask, or I'll just put it in our development channel for everyone to see, but everyone's very um, helpful and, and willing to um, just, you know, lend a hand and, that's that itself is great but also um it's not such a large company that it's like mired in this bureaucratic you know process of all of these different meetings and and uh things that you have to do just to get a story done or whatever it's it's pretty um streamlined i suppose um so like there are days where there's good conversation going on in our development channel because we're we're trying to figure something out. And then there's entire days where aside from standup, I literally don't talk to anyone and that's okay. And it's awesome. I love that Get part. Get tons where, of work done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can actually I can actually work. And um I don't know. For me it's been a very conducive environment to both learning myself, but also just being able to get work done when I need to. Um I can just kind of, 
I don't close Slack, but also everyone else is working and like the only conversation that's going on is like our testing or marketing team and that's it. And I can just see those messages and close them and get back to work. So, um, overall this is, I agree that this is where, um, like I, w there was also that conversation at work where, um, we talked about people jumping around companies a lot, you know, after one or two years, they're, they're onto a new company. And, um, a couple of them were saying like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'd, I'd like to stay here long-term. And I agree. I think, um, for me, it's been both an environment where I've learned a lot. I've grown as a developer, but also, uh, the day to day is pretty dang good where, um, yeah, we've got a lot of stories. I mean, we've got, you know, an a giant backlog. I, I posted a thing a couple months ago where between stories and bugs and feature requests, we hit over 9,000, uh, things in, in Jira and, you know, obligatory over 9,000 joke. Um, but also, you know, we're going at a pace where, uh, like Dimitri said, we're not trying to grow into this giant, you know, Facebook sized company, but, um, we're, we're working on new features all the time and that's, um, fulfilling without being like soul sucking. Yeah. It's kind of funny that this team size, the small mobile team is oftentimes part of smaller companies than when you are the only iOS developer in a much larger company. Um, or uh, part of a much larger company, also part of a uh, a team of a hundred engineers, um, all working on like various different components rather than individual products. So uh, it, it's, it's very much that sweet spot, um, and it can very easily like tip in either direction depending on how things go. If if money gets tight, it goes back to being that one developer. Um, if money, uh, becomes abundant, then sometimes people think, oh, we need to hire more and we'll go faster. Um, do you need yeah. to go faster? Maybe, maybe not. Um, that's a business decision that, uh, people oftentimes get blinded by because there's, uh, money, uh, that's doing the speaking for them, meaning investor money. Uh, so that's just something to consider. Um, but for the most part, it tends to be the most stable because it kind of hits that well. Uh, right, that gravity well, um, where things are just like just perfect, um, and you don't need to necessarily uh, change things to be happy with it. There's one kind of like difference or, or nuance here that I do want to point out. Um, if you're part of a small mobile team on uh, kind of a startup rather than an established sure. app, and I want to like preface. Uh, the difference here is that there's a small business kind of idea where you just have a handful of people as employees working on something. Uh, and then there's the startup mentality. And a startup mentality is there's no product yet. You are working on something. Uh, the money is coming not from your product. It's coming from investors. Um, and therefore, that's going to lead things over time. And that's not necessarily bad, uh, but it is different in a key way in that uh, you might not have as much uh, freedom to just sit and learn and not necessarily rush to finish things um, mm -hmm. in in that environment. So uh, do do uh, acknowledge that if you're joining a startup, you are probably expected to move fast and lean and take shortcuts and maybe not write the best code uh, in the effort of getting the product out first. After that, 
as I said, it can tip in any of the three directions. It can downsize, it can stay the same, or it can upsize, at which point you may uh, want to move on. So the vast majority of people that I've seen that hop around are either like contractors, because a contract only typically lasts a short period of time, or the team just changed so so quickly mm-hmm. under them uh, that uh, it was hard to uh, like be happy with that result. So uh, that is something to consider. Um but that kind of leads into the last big category, and that's working at the megacorps, uh, the fangs, the magmas, the mangas, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I've never, like, I honestly never heard that term before until Facebook changed its name to Meta, and then everyone started talking about it. I'm like, what's <laughs> yeah. a fang? Um, like, <laughs> why why did we choose to give such a menacing term to uh, these uh these kind of companies that I don't think deserve such a cool sounding term. Um, so yeah. yeah. What's a thing? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like some like evil league of companies or something. Yeah. Like a, you know, like a big old mega tech corporation like Facebook or Apple or whatever. Um, just completely different, I suppose. Just don't. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even ones. No. Um, it's just completely different where instead of like being in charge of, you know, um, a section of the app or maybe the entire app, depending on the company size you're working on, like I, uh, like I mentioned earlier, one of the things was like having an entire team to be in charge of like the compose button in Gmail and changing its color by, you know, like changing the hex color or something and that taking weeks and weeks or something where it's kind of a joke, but like. Honestly, you probably would be in charge of a relatively small part of um, whatever app you're working on, right? Um, which is just like a really weird thing to me. Uh, but then I think that introduces all of these. And again, I, I'm, I'm speaking here as like not anyone that's actually worked there. But I would assume that there are just there's so much overhead of if you're working on a team, but that's just one team of the entire, you know, engineering, uh, team over, over team. I don't know. Um, then communication would be hard, uh, making sure that you're not stepping on other people's toes would be hard. And it just seems like exponentially more work uh, of exponentially more of like this, again, like bureaucratic process just to get anything done to decide what does my hex color need to be instead of going to a design team? There's like, I just imagine this, you know, 15 person developer team trying to all decide on what the color should be. And maybe that's not actually how it is, but it seems like there's a little bit more overhead there. I don't know. I'm sure Dimitri yeah. can shed some light. I, I just want to acknowledge the fact that if you want to work at Google... Um, like you're not even, you don't even know you're going to be working on this yet, but say they're essentially hiring someone to add to this compose button group that has like 290 people or whatever. Um, I'm sure it's not that bad. I'm sure there's like, everyone's working on one person's the compose button, one person's the inbox button. Like, I'm sure sure it's a little different, but just imagine for a moment, you go through a one week interview process where they essentially ask you, one train leaves from this station at 50 miles per hour, one train leaves from that station at X miles per hour, solve on a whiteboard for Y. Like, that is essentially what you go through. 
like for a whole week of your life and then the destination is oh uh the design team thought that this composed bun should be a slightly different color can you uh can you change it and it doesn't even ship for like months um like that is essentially the kind of work that you'll be doing and that's also the kind of work that most people that are just getting into the industry they're like oh yeah i'm gonna go work at facebook or google or uber like one of these big tech companies because they pay well right they yeah. pay you well to like do nothing die a little inside on working on these things like i have not heard a single good thing from people working at google like ever like maybe they exist there's surely tons of people that work at google for a long time but unfortunately all you ever hear about are people that leave the company and be like yeah like uh, I, I was working on stuff and at first it was great. Like we were encouraged to do all sorts of things, but then the perverse incentives started to come in with performance reviews. And it's like, well, what am I really working on at the end of the day? Um, and like, you have to realize that a lot of these big tech companies, like you're not working on the product. You're not working on something the customers see. You are working on something the users see. And that's a very different, like, endpoint uh for mm-hmm. for what you're working on like if you're working on something the customer sees what you're doing is very important to the company and therefore uh the decisions you make are very valuable gmail is not a product that google sells gmail is uh, a way for them to get product for their actual clients which are advertisers like that the product is the user's um, and unfortunately, that's what Google's selling to advertisers. They're selling not the data from the users, but a way for advertisers to reach those users, which is at the end of the day, like what their product is. So you are not working when you work at Gmail on uh, something that is at the end of the day important, nor necessarily something that's going to be like very well executed as, as in terms of like a project. Um, and in matters more to build a tool that's going to help you get more product, which is at, as we just discussed users. Um, and that's what you're doing. You're building a developer tool. Um, and it's a much nicer looking developer tool, depending on who you ask. Uh, Gmail has looked like trash up until very recently and they just recently like redid it. But as you can, uh, see by the, the tweet that we're kind of laughing at, uh, there's like 50 million shades of blue involved in that decision. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, of course people are going to be twiddling their thumbs, not knowing what to do because there's yeah. nothing really important that they're working on. Uh, so do, do realize that if you are going to be working for one of these very large tech companies, um, there's going to be a lot of this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of architecture uh, learning. It's like, oh, you need to learn the clean architecture because you need to be able to write something in complete isolation from anyone else and it needs to just be able to plug in. Um, and that's because there are 50 million people working on something and you, like merge conflicts are going to happen all the time because you just have so many people working on something. Um, you're going to need to uh, figure out ways to rewrite Xcode's build system like Facebook <laughs> needed to do because guess what? Uh, things are not going to work very well uh, when you have so many different components that are all written in 17 classes, all independent of each other. Uh, and then the type system has to like live up to that. It's just not going to work. Uh, so you hear of uh, of stories like Uber was sharing 
where uh oh they needed to they rewrote the app three times because they're trying to get underneath that that limit of 100 megabytes or something for cellular download which is very important for uber because that's how you get uh people like right doing rides um and as a result of that like hey guess what uh all this architecture stuff that they're doing the clean architecture where you have 17 different classes and i kind of joke at 17 it's more like five but still five things for button is way too much just saying that um and you end up with a binary that's so much larger than it needs to be for no reason like it's not like you need to have uh so much independent modularity in an app that at the end of the day has a handful of screens right Mm -hmm. if if your app is so big that it cannot be internalized by the people using it, like it's too big. Like you've, you've failed your customer at that point. Right. Um, but if it, if that means it's too big, then like it can't even fit in developers minds developing it. And therefore you end up with someone who's in charge of the compose button, because that is an independent component that is, has gone so complex for reasons unknown uh, that it it needs to have a dedicated person working on it, and you kind of get stuck there. Um, so, like, I, I, I this blows my mind, and I know that a lot of people want to work at a large company because it gives them experience, and it does give you experience in a way. Like, you will become jaded like me. Um, and I, I have not necessarily worked at any of these companies, so like take everything i'm saying with a grain of salt this is only from what i've heard or from what i've seen um but it never seems like something that i would ever want to do yeah i i'm with you there um going back to you know being very segmented um i can't remember who it was at work but they were talking about they had an um they were either, I think it was, they were getting some help from a developer at Apple um, with some uh, like low level video or audio stuff or something like that. Some media handling processing. Um, and the developer came back and gave them some sample code to look at it. And it was like in objective C++. And this was like a, a year or so ago. Like they just kind of got uh, shoehorned into like that one role again of like owning that one thing. And they never really, um, well, they didn't grow out of it because that's what they owned. But um, they brought that up in the in the context of they're not really learning anything new. And maybe they are like like literally the subject matter expert on color spaces or whatever it is that is you know insane. And that's that's awesome. But one thing that I really value is that. Um, you know, one sprint or for a couple sprints, I'm working on uh, some UI thing where I'm dealing with Swift UI and then I'm dealing with something completely different and it keeps things fresh, which for me is nice because I think I'd get bored very quickly if I owned a single button uh, or whatever it is. And maybe uh, I'm sure some people at those companies enjoy that because they uh, just sit there quietly and do their thing and get their gnarly uh, salary. And, and that's great. But I think that would be completely soul sucking to me. Um, I also wouldn't want to work there. I think, you know, you, you, you hear about working at these companies like Apple or, or whatever through this like rose colored lens of like, Holy crap, I'm, I'm working with Tim Apple. Right. And it's like, uh, no, you know, 
you're not i mean you get to go work in the spaceship but you're not really i don't know maybe apple's a little bit different a little bit but yeah i I would clarify apple is probably uh better and worse in different ways and let me kind of expand on that a little again from the from the position of someone who has never explicitly worked at apple um however from the from the point of view of anyone who has ever known me is like, oh yeah, you work on Apple, right? Because you write apps. Um, (laughs) so with that asterisk aside of working at Apple, but not actually working at Apple, um, I have seen a very different kind of like outcome or, uh, presentation of like the work responsibilities. Um, Apple tends to be more like the small mobile team where you are working on a particular like product. Maybe you are working on mail on the Mac. Like, that is an entire product. Like, understandably, you you need someone who is a subject matter expert of mail because it's an entire code base, like, on its own. Think of an indie app. Okay, well, now you have 17 of those on Mac OS, uh-huh. and you have another 17 on iOS. Um, so what Apple does is they have small teams of a handful of people, like, probably around five Macs or so I've heard. Um, I'm sure there are some that are bigger, some that are smaller. Um, where that team is the, like, they're the only ones working on that thing. Um, sure. and as a result, it might seem like they get stuck. Like, hey, I'm stuck on mail for five years and I want to move on. And at Apple, it's easy to kind of jump to different teams via mm-hmm. the internal, like, interview process, if you will. Uh, like a different team might be looking for someone, uh, to join them and you might be interested in, and checking that out so you go ahead and and apply for that role uh and then uh essentially uh what's that called graduate from mail to calendar or (laughs) sure (laughs) um and it's a different product so you get to work on something new so uh that is a thing at apple that's not typically a thing i think i've i've heard that this is the case at uh on the instagram group as well like instagram is one app but there are different big parts of it there's stories as a whole there's the feed um and therefore that's essentially like a mini app and an app kind of sure. like an app and an os is an app of the os but uh at apple you've generally will be working on a small team that you get close to on one thing in particular for instance ui kit is not necessarily a thousand people working on ui kit there's a handful of people working on different components like text might be a separate group but uh-huh. UI kit controls, that's like three people. Um, and of course, it might ch- changes over time, of course. Uh, but uh, it's not a huge, ginormous team that's all working on it. Um, it is going to be an Objective-C. Uh, so like giant, giant asterisk there if you, <laughs> if you are joining that. But uh, Apple tends to be a lot better in that case, in that situation. So they work like a small, a small company would, uh, working on individual products, making sure that uh, they are as good as they can be uh, and hopefully don't rush to release them like they did with the system preferences on Ventura, uh, which seems like they could have started this two years ago and then like had a great looking system preferences now where it seems like they started it right before dub dub. Uh, and we're like, let's, let's go with this. And they're like, Oh, are you sure? And yeah, it's happening. Um, so uh, more on that later, but uh, it, it is definitely something that, is is better at apple than other big tech companies however uh the expectations are also different than small company meaning 
uh, you are kind of expected to work long hours to get the things done. Um, and you are expected to work in San Francisco or San Jose area, um, or one of their like, uh, specialized satellite cities for individual projects. Um, so that is not necessarily going to be as freeing as like working remote, um, or, uh, necessarily having time with your family afterwards or being able to talk to them about anything you're working on. Uh, so there's a lot of different trade-offs, uh, that, that come with the job, uh, that you should be aware of. So, uh, if there was any company out of these big tech ones that I would ever want to work for, it would probably be Apple. Um, and I never want to work for Apple because I don't necessarily want to be, uh, working overtime when like salaried employees are exempt from overtime. Like this is something that you may not realize getting into development, but you do not get overtime necessarily. Uh, if you're a part-time employee, not salaried part-time, you do get overtime. Uh, and generally interns are like fall under this classification. So you might start working at Apple, making a ton of money and then make suddenly less money (laughs) once you get a, a a proper job offer because you are jumping from working the required 90 hours a week, uh, to 40, but then you're still working 60, um, because like you're expected to be there because everyone else is on the team is there. And why aren't you there? And it's like, you're, you're setting a bad example for the rest of the team. Uh, so yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Um, as you can probably tell by the way that I describe it, I'm sure it's a lot better on some teams than it is on others. And I've probably only heard the worst situations. I've heard excellent things from other teams as well. Like I have a lot of friends that have been at Apple for the better part of a decade or more. Uh, and they're very happy there. Um, and that's something that uh, is hard to say for a lot of people working anywhere. Like to be happy working somewhere for more than 10 years, that means that you really do enjoy what you're working on, right? Um, yeah. And uh, that's something that that should definitely be considered. Like if you want to be working on something that literally matters to a billion people, like, yeah, that's that's something that you'll be able to do. Uh, just be aware that it's not something that you'll necessarily, uh, like it might, might be the, a case of, uh, prop 65 in California where, uh, like overwork is known to say to California to cause cancer. Um, because apparently it is, I don't know. I just saw that in the feed this morning. So don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, but you might need some extra sleep that you might not be able to get, uh, working at a company like this. So, uh, with all that said and done. Uh, if you really want to do it, go for it because we can't stop you. Um, but, uh, I would definitely try for a smaller team. Um, especially if you're just starting off, uh, or especially if you've been doing a lot of work for a long time and you want to relax a a little bit. Um, and that will probably, that's, that's probably the, the best out of all these scenarios, uh, to work at. Um, and I've worked at everything up until, like the giant, the giant tech, uh, big tech job. Uh, so I, I can definitely say with confidence that I'm happiest kind of at this level in terms of, uh, I, I'd probably be happier as an indie developer, but, um, I'm happiest as a, uh, from the point of view of being a financially stable, mm-hmm. um, on a small mobile team than, than anywhere else. And like, you can, as I said, double dip or triple dip if, uh, you, you have the time for it and that's how you can get, uh, overtime. Uh, though it's not really overtime. You're just 
asking for more so you can pay your own taxes. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I, I agree with Dimitri. I think um, we're we're both a little biased, but well, actually, I'm I'm definitely biased. I don't know about Dimitri because he's actually worked at other uh, like done indie dev and stuff. But I also would agree that uh, being on the small team is definitely where I am the most happy because that's the only team I've worked on. I mean, I've done my own stuff and tried to put it out there, but not really in any, you know, trying to make a business out of it. But um, I think it goes back to like me being happy enough with my job that I'm not like, hmm, after a year, I kind of want to, I kind of want to go somewhere else type of thing. Um, I've been at this company for two years. I can't remember two or three years. Um, It's been great. I love it. And I still want to stay there. Everyone I work with is great. And um, the team is small enough where, again, I know everyone and and all that, but um, I'm moving around and and within the app, there's plenty to do where I'm not getting bored and every sprint or, you know, every kind of large epic that we're working on is is something new and it's always exciting. So um, in that sense, it's good. And, um, the company I work for is also super all about, you know, no overtime, like just 40 hours, like that's it. Have, have your weekend, you know, it's like a very healthy, um, what do they call that? Work-life management, uh, mm-hmm. or work-life balance. Um, so in that sense, that's also great. Cause I, I'm not worrying about work on, you know, on the weekend or anything. So, um, I think yeah, and it's I think sort of the best of both worlds. Yeah, I, I think that's the magic of it being a business and not a startup. Um, because if the business is wildly successful, you don't need to speed things up. <laughs> you just have a wildly successful business at its current <laughs> pace, right? Um, so uh, that's something that that definitely that definitely works to everyone's advantage, both as an employee and both as the owner of the company, because you get to pad yourself very well. Um, and if things are less successful, then you can manage it at this point, at that point, uh, many, I've seen many developers kind of give up what they have to keep their team going. Um, because mm-hmm. like oftentimes you need to live, you need to live through a rough patch to get through the other side of it. Um, and like that needs to come from somewhere. So, um, the the best people to kind of do that are the ones that have been in your situation before and they kind of understand it uh, at all levels. So uh, that's kind of where we are both coming from, I think, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of seeing this as kind of the best situation to be in um, because it tends to be uh, a bit have a bit more empathy than most other situations. Like a client doesn't really care about you um, yeah, if they you're want doing the contracting work. Yeah, um, but uh, like... If if you see a, a small a small software company, um, then they they tend to uh, care about their employees a lot more um, because they they were in that same exact position not too long ago and they just happened to more or less get lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to that extent, I would encourage everyone to try out indie development in your spare time. Like you're already working, right? So that means you can't necessarily take uh, any time off. Uh, so in the extra hours of the day that's already been spent working, uh, you can go ahead and try to build something on your own. Uh, and either A, you won't succeed, but you'll learn from it. 
um, or B, you'll get lucky and maybe you can go ahead and keep that going separately uh, without putting too much effort into it. And uh, that's that's something that uh, only comes around if you try, right? Yeah. Only uh, only the people that try a lot are are ultimately lucky um, because they give themselves lots of opportunities for random chance to succeed in their favor. Um, and that's that's all there is to it, right? This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Weekly Swift Exercises. Uh, learning Swift, there's no substitute for practicing. There's dozens, literally dozens of people Fernando's mentored through different programs, and he's seen it time and time again. After you learn the basics of programming, you slow down because learning through experience is demanding and painful. Increasing your confidence is key, and there's an easy way to do it, practice. Fernando's weekly exercises help you practice concepts like closures and protocols uh, while implementing actual features like dark mode. It's free to join. Besides the exercises, Fernando sends one or two articles about learning Swift. Some are technical in nature, but most of them will help you in your career by teaching you things like best practices, working as a team, or getting you ready for your first job. Thanks again to Fernando and Weekly Swift Exercises for sponsoring Code Completion. Go to twitter.com slash swiftexercises, that's S-W-I-F-T-E-X-E-R-C-I-S-E-S today to learn more. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like to dig into. Uh, most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Uh, I have a short uh, commented out that I got awesome. inspired of mid-thing. Mid um, <laughs> so, like, the web is a thing, and they are all-knowing. Uh, and they use hex colors for everything. Hex colors mm. are horrible uh, because they are like limited to sRGB from oh right like two thousand. Um, yeah. Because you're essentially for anyone who doesn't know what hex colors are, let's describe them. Uh, you have color, and color is typically red, green, blue on computers. Um, and you need to give a value to how much red, how much green, how much blue, right? Um, if you give an equal amount, then you give something in the grayscale. Um, but if you give 100% to red and uh, 0% to green and 100% to blue, you get a mix of those colors, like magenta in this case. Um, and with that, you can have any color that we humans can see because we can see red, green, and blue as well. Uh, and we're just kind of matching to that with screens. Okay, so preface aside, um, computers being computers, we give one byte to red and green and blue. Uh, and that means that you get a value from 0 to 255 because one byte has that many options in it. Um, and you give that to each of them. Uh, now, developers being developers, we decided, hey, wouldn't it be great to have a shorthand for this? Because writing 255 is too many letters. So we're going to write FF. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, because like we've mastered hexadecimal counting and everyone else should as well. Uh, so therefore, colors have been expressed in hexadecimal uh, since the early days of the web, because instead of uh, a whole bunch of characters, like you got to type a lot, 255 comma zero comma uh, 255 for that magenta. Brutal. Um, 
you can now write FF00FF, uh, and everyone's expected to know what on earth you're talking about. Um, so that that is what a hexadecimal color is. Um, uh, the great thing about hexadecimal colors is uh, they are basically the worst way of describing color because no two screens will show the same hexadecimal color the same way because no two screens are generally calibrated unless they're made by Apple. Um, and yeah. uh, therefore, like your hexadecimal color that you spent so much time picking, it's the perfect one. Uh, you suddenly put it in a different tool and it looks different because, again, it's just, oh, let's translate these to values between 250, 0 and 255 for red, green, blue. And then we'll just show it not really taking color space into account in any way. Um, so even if you do have a color uh, calibrated monitor, you like put it in a different program and it's then different. Um, yeah. And that's because color spaces are hard. Uh, so I want to uh, discourage people from using hexadecimal colors everywhere and instead instead blah, blah, uh, describe colors uh, according to a color space. Like, if you want to use sRGB and be inferior, uh, then use sRGB. Um, it's, like, the grossest colors because we've seen them for the longest <laughs> time. And now we have more colors. Let's use the more colors. They're, like, shiny and stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, like, I want to encourage everyone, don't be limited to sRGB. You're probably seeing... Uh, this video and this orange is probably like orange, right? But it's extra orange to my eyes and it can be extra orange to your eyes too if the people who uh, like work on making sure everything gets translated correctly, uh, which is very hard it turns out, um, <laughs> can get the, the orange to display correctly in your screen uh, just as well as it displays in front of my eyeballs. Uh, so uh, hexadecimal colors are not the way to do this. Um, because they don't specify color space in any capacity. Um, and if you really don't want to bother specifying color spaces, you should use something like lab colors or LCH colors, because those are color space independent. They can describe any color you want. You just need to have a value that you that represents it. Um, and that value, unfortunately, uh, is not bounded in any way. It can be negative. It can be positive. It can be over 100. It can be 7,000 if you want. It can be over 9,000. Um Whoa. But uh, you have, as long as your monitor can display that color, then it will happily display it. Um, so, uh, yeah, give give lab colors or LCH colors a try. They work a lot better, too. Like, have you ever noticed that green is way brighter than blue? And you're like, what's what's up? I have 0, 255, 0. That's, that's my green. And if I want the brightest blue possible, it's 0, 0, 255. And that blue looks dark um, and mm -hmm. disappointing. And that's because our eyes suck at looking at blues. Um, but that's that's okay because uh, what you can do is specify a luminance value or a lightness value. Uh, and instead of uh, hue value lightness, brightness, whatever, HSB, uh, that, that broken color space, like ignore that yeah. one. Use LCH. LC LCH is awesome because uh, it will go ahead and equalize brightness values across all hues. Uh, and therefore, like if you want a blue the same like brightness is a green you're not going to succeed because we can't see blues like that uh but if you want a green the same brightness as the blue that's going to be very easy to achieve you just change the hue uh so this tirade aside that kind of sounds like a poem uh, i'm just gonna <laughs> stop there don't use hex values for for colors that's fair yeah we i can't exactly remember what it was but in multiple instances um you know, we, we deal with color spaces 
in Luma Fusion and stuff, and that's super important to making videos and making sure that everything maps correctly when it's in HDR and all that stuff. So uh, apparently we have contacts with the, uh, I don't know what team it is at Apple, maybe Core Graphics, I don't know. Uh, but dealing with color spaces and apparently they've just got some absolute, you know, freaking wizards that know everything about color spaces. And even my boss and uh, a couple of the other senior engineers at, at my company are just like, I don't really like we work on this app and I don't really don't understand how color spaces work. And that just shows how absolutely insane it is to, you know, map one color to, from one color space to another and make it work and all that stuff. So. I mean, Glad I don't have science. to deal with that. It's it's yeah. literally color science. Like it's a field yeah. of study that people get PhDs in. Uh, so That's like crazy. I don't expect anyone to like be a master at this. I just expect people to stop using hex values and just specify like, <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, okay. I, I want this color. It's in this color space. Like it's, you have to have both of those pieces of information. Otherwise, none of it makes sense. Um, Apple is at fault for making confusing APIs in the past with their calibrated and display and device mm. and not really specifying which one you should ever use for which situation. Uh, and that's on them. Um, but they are also one of the few companies that like pioneer uh, color um, and therefore care about it a lot more. Um, so then you end up with like True Tone, which a lot of people mm. are like, True Tone is gross. But guess what? True Tone makes white look white because yeah. the ways our eyes work are broken and we constantly adjust. Ever go skiing and put ski goggles on and everything yeah. turns peak? And then five minutes later, everything's white. And then you take them off and everything turns blue. And that's like, what's going on? Because eyes are stupid. Um, and like computers have to keep up with those stupid eyes. So, yeah. Yep. Color is hard. Uh, is and hard. you are making it harder for everyone else by using hex values. Because you're like, oh, yes, my brand colors are hex value EX. Or that's not hex value. Uh, E52BF7. Uh, um, like that is my my preferred hex value uh, for my brand. My brand. Um, and as a result, like your brand is going to look different on every single thing possible because you gave me an inadequate hex value that, based on your PDF alone, is not even showing up properly. So uh, yeah. kudos to you for using your hex value wrong in front of like on the same PDF that you presented on. Um, that's great. Uh, and you've proven the point that hex values suck. So don't use them. Yep. Yeah. And this was all, all in like, this is what happens when I see a page full of hex values. Like <laughs> this is not useful. Look right here. This is yeah. useful. You see the different colors Un unuseful information, useful mm -hmm. information, unuseful information. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I think part of it's like it's propagated by web developers, right? Because like in CSS or whatever, you're you're using hex codes. I think you probably could use like RGB values, but like every time I've seen like CSS, it's just in hex, right? Every time so. I've written CSS, thank you very much, Spencer. It's been in RGBA. Okay, I'm sorry. I... Darn values, uh, because like this is impossible. Look, I... Like I, I no, you're like the outlier. <laughs> you're the outlier, though. I'd assume that like if you go on any you know web tutorial website or whatever, they're just gonna be like, yeah, specify it in hex, like it's all good. So uh, and then it gets it gets propagated. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you, Dimitri. I wasn't attacking you. I was just attacking everyone else. Cool. Uh, by the way, there's an excellent 
uh, tool called Color Sync Utility, which everyone yes. should play around with. Uh, because uh, one, uh, I guess I have a whole bunch of profiles open. Let me find the normal thing. No window? Is it even going to show it? Uh, so if you oh. are watching on nothing uh if you're watching live you get to see this if you're not watching live you should watch live uh we usually stream on sundays uh or record i should say not stream um but yeah uh you can go ahead and poke around in here um and uh profiles profiles will have them you look at these cool graphs these graphs are cool uh and you can go ahead and say like yeah i want to hold for comparison and compare this to srgb and look how tiny srgb is yeah, it doesn't even right. match up to nine, 1998 version of adobe rgb uh like adobe in 1998 was way ahead uh most of these are <laughs> invented a very long time ago so it's like don't use the year as any, anything real uh i think the newest one is like rec 2020 is probably the, the newest fanciest thing and this is like every color that we could possibly see uh that's been represented um but yeah, like, look at the cool graphs. Uh, and the yeah. coolest part of this is you can go to this calculator tab uh, and you can put in uh, sRGB values. Like, let's go ahead and put our magenta in. So you see magenta. Uh, and then we can go ahead and say, like, I want to see this in display P3, which is what your monitor can probably display. Um, and look how inadequate this magenta is. It doesn't even, like, push up against the values. You can go more red, more blue uh Whoa. less green and now it's a brighter magenta that you can't see because color science is hard and like we didn't figure out the part where that's streamable uh but i can see it this is a brighter magenta than this magenta i was gonna uh, say it looks the exact same to me but i know <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah uh and then you have other color spaces here that you can play around with lab is the coolest one um but uh lab on its own kind of is hard to deal with uh, because it's like not the greatest color space act after all. Uh, but LCH is a cool color space and it's basically been invented for the web. So you should go check that out. Uh, it basically has hue, which is kind of like everyone understands hue. You just change it. Uh, and then it has chroma, how bright something is. And it has lightness. Uh, and that's how like white or black it is. And that's it. It's all the whole shebang. So yeah. Color sync utility. Cool stuff. Nice. Anyways, I'm done. Should right. be taken away from the mic at this point. I'm just going to ramble for longer <laughs> no, about color. You're good. I I can see you're very passionate about it. So, I, I spent way too long fighting with people about color <laughs> in a previous life, apparently. Um, <laughs> All right. Anyways, bye, everyone. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>